Hey everyone, this podcast is between Tom and Nick, just the two of them talking shop, talking the real estate market, interest rates, Bitcoin, M2, where Canada's headed, where the real estate market's headed, what they're watching in the economy, and what you can do to protect yourself from it all, position yourself, and live life on your terms. It's a classic Tom and Nick episode discussing all the things that you love hearing them discuss on this show. And coming up for Rockstar Inner Circle members is the Saturday, April 6th, Your Life, Your Terms event happening in Mississauga. Last time we had over 1,000 people attend this event. So Rockstar Inner Circle members, put the date on your calendar, save it, get ready to bring a guest as well. It's gonna be another awesome event. We just finalized the final guest list, which we're gonna be releasing over the next few weeks of the speakers at the event. We've got a broad range of different things, all related to living life on your terms, not just real estate, not just the economy, although you're going to hear those updates from Tom and Nick, as you always do. Um, so we're really excited to present these guest speakers over the next few weeks, let you know about it. We're really looking forward to this. Uh, every year, we just try to make these better and better and better, and hopefully we can do it again this time. So that's Saturday, April 6th. If you're not a Rockstar Inner Circle member, you can actually still buy a ticket to attend this event. So ticket sales are going to open soon. We have early bird pricing and then prices tend to go up after that because we need to finalize numbers and get an idea of how many people are going to be in the room. Last time we had, I think 1,071 to be precise, people in the room for this event. So it's going to be another big banging event. You want to be there Saturday, April 6th. Don't miss it. And now enough of me talking on to Tom and Nick and all of the lovely stuff that they chat about in this episode. Hope you enjoy. Are you ready to live life on your terms? Is it time to take charge? Real estate, business building, the economy, health and nutrition, and more. It's the Your Life, Your Term Show with Tom and Nick Carazza. Are you ready? Let's go. All right, Nicholas Carazza. One of the things that I wanted to... uh, to talk about first was, you know those charts that you see on Canadian real estate and when you see Canadian real estate and the debt levels in Canada and you compare it against the G7 and you always see like how much debt Canada is carrying and Canadians are carrying and and the Canadian house prices are always kind of astronomically high compared to the rest of the world. I think we need someone, so someone out there listening has to correct it to take into account interest rates. And the reason that I wanna bring this up is that every time we called our friends down in the States about interest rates when it comes to real estate, their rates were always higher than ours by about a percentage point or so, sometimes a little bit more, maybe sometimes less, but sometimes a little bit more. And if people are just buying the monthly payment on a property, that greatly changes the price of the properties because if you're getting an interest rate in the US at 4% and here we're getting it at 3%, or if right now you're getting it at 5%, the US is getting 6%. That just changes how much you can carry a month. Yeah, and, it, matters, and it, it matters for sure. But nobody corrects or takes that into account when they show house prices. Well, I think the gap is it, it disconnected so much that it, it 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 still doesn't bring it in, like not even close to in line. It, it would impact it for sure. Yeah, but so then the other five, yeah, I, I agree. So it, it impacts it. Yeah, because I mean, if you're looking, if, if we're getting interest rates at 3%, and I know that's not current, so I'm talking a few years ago now, but if we're getting interest rates at 3% and someone else is getting them at 4%, well, we're getting them 33%. That's a 33% difference. 
Yeah, or 25% lower. Whichever way you yeah. want to look at it. But to me, it's 33% higher. Yeah. yeah, but the payments is not going to, it's not going to change that much as what, what the borrowing, like how, like where the disconnect is, I I, I don't know. I, I'd have to see the numbers, but it's probably like it accounts for 15% of what the discrepancy is. But if you do this every year over years and years, it compounds on itself. Does it? Yeah. How does it compound? It's just, it's just the affordability factor at that time. So it doesn't compound because they can't continuously, the payments would still have to go up as those other prices go up. Right. Yeah, so I guess compounding is not the right word. You're right. It's just uh, at that moment in time, I can borrow at a cheaper rate. Yeah. Uh, not at a cheaper rate. I can borrow at this rate and that dictates the price I can afford to pay yeah, for you the house. Can pay, the, the prices here will go, can go up higher. And with the payments being, you know, relative, I don't know if, if the same is not the right term, but yeah, somewhere, somewhere that you can afford uh, to pay a higher price with a similar payment because of the lower rates. So yes, mm. to your point, I think it's correct. I guess a portion of that discrepancy would, would matter. And then I think where, where kind of my mind is going with this thought process is that then I can also borrow, I can dip into any newfound appreciation which we would call equity on the property at a lower rate too so like i kind of just propels this borrowing that's easier and not everyone can do it you have to have the income to to get it but let's face it banks throw credit lines on properties all the time so you don't have to requalify on some of these home equity lines as the equity builds in the property your access to the credit is there and then you're paying an interest only payment typically on that i just mean it the whole housing structure the way we do it here what that with the slightly lower rates impacts the market maybe more greatly than we're taking into account. It's one factor. Then the other factor I think that applies to Canada that's also never discussed or rarely discussed is that when you buy properties in the States, you can choose from a whole bunch of different cities and it spreads around the appreciation. I don't know why that's never discussed. Yeah. When you're talking about the average price, yeah, when you're talking about the yeah, average, average price. because their average price of you, you know, an area that is well populated with low, at a lower price point because it's not, I don't know, on the coast or it's, you know, it's not Miami or something like that. It's in the, the center of the U.S. where, you know, the prices are lower, but it's still well populated because their population is so large. Yeah, that, that makes well, a difference for sure versus us just having properties being driven up in, you know, what, primarily, what, four cities? Four, four markets, yeah. kind of, sort of, four markets. Whereas I we just had, I mean, Carol just got back from Nashville. Her, um, you know, her friend was there with some friends celebrating a 50th birthday party. They were visiting friends who had moved from California to Nashville, and they were like, kind of raving about how great the house was in Nashville for like a fraction of the price that they were paying in California. Where in Canada are we going to a city that's kind of sort of like Nashville, where you can buy a price of a house at a fraction of a cost of Toronto? We don't really have that. Like I, I know we have a Calgary where some people are going, but there's like tens, yeah. there's yeah. like 10 cities like that in the US. Yeah, that matters for sure. Doesn't It doesn't, it doesn't answer the affordability problems that we're having but it matters as to that it, but it creates some of the unaffordability that yeah. we have because everybody piles into four big centers and when 44 percent of all this crazy amount of immigration that we get comes into ontario and a huge chunk of that comes around the golden horseshoe what's oshawa to niagara falls now it's like nine million people yeah, no, no one is mapping out you know no one has created enough housing for that kind of population so we just get this concentration of demand in a few markets that really just juices these markets. And it's a, it's a real structural difference. Like to me, those two things, 
interest rates and the way the population centers are just more concentrated in Canada really change the dynamics of the market quite So a what's lot. the point though? Like what are you trying to say? So yeah. It, I guess uh, the point is that when everyone will look around and say, well, the prices are way cheaper in the US, there's like a problem in Canada. And it's like, yeah, there is a problem in Canada. What are the things that are driving the problem? No one talks about those things. It's yeah. more just like, that's it. Like, oh, you know what? You can buy a house in Texas or Florida or anywhere in the US for cheaper than it is here. And that's kind of the level of discussion. That's it. It's like, well, why is that? Yeah. And I think two of the factors that I don't see discussed are just the structure of Canada as, a, as its cities are sitting on the map and the... F the fact that we can borrow at a cheaper rate is a so yeah I, I agree with you and then I'm wondering is a is a third factor that's not often discussed um, the fact that it's priced in Canadian dollars and if we have immigration coming from other parts of the world then you have money coming from other parts of the world globally things are priced in the U in U S dollars so when you look at our if you look at our housing and you do some sort of conversion you know into U S dollars that changes things too because they're being they're able to buy material and labor and things like that paying for people in u.s dollars where we have to pay in canadian dollars so i don't know what the exchange is right now but 25 percent or so but is there you know is, is the five hundred thousand dollar property the equivalent of 625 in canada mm -hmm. and I, I i don't know like i, I don't think it's sure you know, but dollar, no one's really adjusting for these things i don't think yeah. it's dollar for dollar but i think it matters like if someone's leaving china and they're bringing a bunch of money well, what are they bringing? Are they bringing U.S. dollars out of China? If they're bringing, like, are, you know, mm -hmm. like, who don't, are they bringing gold? Well, that's kind of priced in U.S. dollars too, really. You know, so like, how does that impact things? And I think as, as Canada's market was impacted more and more by immigration and by foreigners coming, then I think there's a larger portion of that has to be adjusted for kind of the, you know, our crappier currency, mm -hmm. right? Or our, our falling currency, which is kind of impacting prices because we have to go buy the commodities for everything. Actually, and when you say it that way, it makes me think of, you remember a few years ago when we calculated like, okay, if Canada is the world's, you know, seventh, eighth, ninth, whatever it is right now, biggest economy in the world. And if you have capital flight leaving places like China and you take the amount of capital that's leaving China and you divide that up across the different big economies in the world, when that amount hits the shores of Canada, the impact it has is great because the amount of capital compared to the size of our economy, it just has a huge impact versus the amount of capital coming into a country maybe like the US. Well, we saw it when, when, when that money, when there was a lot of money, um, and I don't know you know, what the numbers are now, but it was, it was very apparent there was a, far more money coming in from China that was probably what five years ago or so. No, yeah, maybe, maybe maybe more. It was after it was more. but it was after COVID too. No, wasn't it? it might have been yeah. before. Yeah, but it was before. It was for before sure. the, yeah. the majority, and um, but you saw the impact it was having. You know, it was just like no one could, no one could, you know, afford properties. It was like so many. I don't know what percentage of of properties, but I know in my specific area, the percentage of properties that were being sold to um, Asian immigrants call. I don't know if they were all Chinese or not, but I mean, it was very apparent to anyone looking. You can actually see this. If you Google up China foreign exchange reserves, you can see a drop around the year two, two, 2014 to 2016. 
it's like a trillion dollars left China. And that's when we were doing all that math, looking at it. Yeah. yeah. And, see how and then it, flat, it kind of flatlined. They kind of put on some capital control. They're like, hey, listen, we're not having any more money leave because they had about $4 trillion in the bank, it looks like, as yeah. a nation. So if you do the math on that, you take the trillion, a trillion dollars. dollars. They were the seventh or whatever percentage we were getting of that. I mean, it has an impact on our economy for sure because we're such a smaller economy. Yeah, it's kind of weird. The fact, the size of our economy, all these little variables really kind of matter. And then going to your point about you know, just spending on the, um, the Congressional Budget Office just put out their new economic outlook from 2024 to 2034. And the projections of the amount of debt that that country is going to have are just astronomical over the next few years. And if you look at the chart, I know if you're listening to this, you're not seeing it, we're actually not even sharing it on the screen. So I'll just describe it. Basically, from here on, the way to think of debt in the US is it goes straight up to the right. <laughs> it just goes up. And I guess where this gets interesting for Canadians... It's not even a 45-degree angle. It goes up at about a 60-degree angle yeah. there. Yeah. If you want to see it, just Google up the Congressional Budget Office and look at their latest economic report. It's it's a few pages in. You'll see the chart. And then I guess where that gets interesting for, for me is that a lot of that debt in the U.S. is financed by deficits. And a lot of those deficits do not have global demand a lot for of the that, Treasury. A lot of that debt. Yeah. So the... the, the, the <laughs> Federal Reserve gets involved and new money's created to kind of fund a lot of this stuff. And if you look at a chart of the USM2 growth, so on tradingview.com, you can do this. If you just pull up USM2 and you look at that chart and it grows up, the USM2 increases quite greatly, specifically after the pandemic, it kind of just goes almost straight up for a little while there, but you can see it going up. But then Canada, if you look at Canada from about the year 1970, so if you go back like several decades, if we look at like a 50 year window, window, Canada just crushes US at the amount of new dollars or M2 money supply that we create. So I guess my thinking is just like really simple. If the US is going to have a shit ton more debt, it's going to mean they're going to have a shit ton more M2. And guess who creates a lot more M2 than the US when you compare the two? Canada. So what does that do to the, the value of the Canadian dollar or the devaluation of the Canadian dollars over the next few years? Like, is it going to catch everybody by surprise yet again, where everyone looks around at Canadian housing prices, which we all know are too expensive for the middle class, all wrong, should not be like this. But like at the end of this decade, do we look and, and you know, the, the $1.5 million townhome, does it all of a sudden $3 million? And everyone thinks, hears that and everyone's like, well, that can never happen because no one's going to be able to afford those things because that's what we've been told for the last 30 years of my life. It can't happen, Tom. Can't happen. No one's going to afford it. And that time frame, I, that seems like a stretch. I mean, not, not like it, it can happen, but the- That would be aggressive. That's like six years. Well, the structural impact of that on the economy is different. Over a longer period of time, yeah. I mean, look, look what's happened already. What- What's always interesting to me is people just look at real estate prices as the price being the be all and end all. And, and, and the price is really a symptom of a bigger problem. And I think that's where, whereas people look at prices as the problem. And I, I feel like sometimes you got to go behind that a little bit because there's the problem I feel lies behind that. And that's the symptom. No different than the prices of everything and no different than the price of cars and everything else. Right. Because when you look at our parents' house, they bought it for what, 125 or something? 120? I forget 90? the Mississauga home. Yeah. I thought it, I thought it was like 95, 95 but I could be so wrong. 100. So call it around 100. But it's probably now, hasn't been updated too much. You know, it's, it's a nice home. It's in good shape and stuff, but it's not like, 
like there's not granite quartz countertops all around and all the bathrooms are redone with brand new you know uh curbless no i need some more things yeah and it's probably worth what one point i have no idea uh, i mean at one point it was more than that it's, it's low one point something 1.2 1.3 probably in that range somewhere mm-hmm. so that's what i 12? bet it's higher yeah it probably is but but i call it even 12 times mm-hmm. 12 times it's 40 years but like at that time you could never see that property going up to no. that point like it just never made any sense just like when we started doing this the properties that we were buying at 200 grand we could never see them selling now for what 800 grand right that's 400 well, actually so then to your point yeah that's a 400 percent increase over a 16 year period how long were we doing this stuff i don't mm-hmm. even know mm-hmm. right about 16 17 years something like that so that's every four years if you if you average it out but but it hasn't it doesn't really average out it was much slower early on and then as the as the supply of money grew the prices grew with it as rates were low mm-hmm. and bringing all this new money into the system I think that so then the biggest thing for most Canadians to understand is that nothing, nothing's changing with the bricks and mortar and the roof of their house. It's exactly the same. It's just the value of the dollars is decreasing that it takes more of those dollars to buy the same freaking house. I think I think there's I think there is supply and demand. So yeah, yeah, there's supply definitely demand supply and demand. There's two big factors yeah. for sure. Structural in a, you know, there's a structural it's, it's we're broken with supply and demand. So there's a structural housing problem for sure. And then if you layer in the rapid devaluation of the currency, mm-hmm. you get Bananaville. And yeah. And the, the one other thing I would say is the affordability, which is kind of linked to the, to the devaluation of the currency because low rates, that's fuel on the fire, which kind of mm-hmm. also then increases the, the money supply. Yeah. So there's a little bit, of, you know, both sides mm-hmm. there, but, but that, that matters as well. And that kind of plays into supply and demand. So now we're probably, I'm probably splitting hairs here. So yeah, combined, those are the two big ones. But so what was my example? $1.5 million townhome or 1.1? 1. 1.5. 1.5. And it's going to be like 3 million by the end of this decade. Yeah. Six years, hundred percent. That's pretty, ag- that's pretty aggressive. But then I, let's just like kind of play with that a little bit. Look at what the government it's, just it's 15% seen. a year, which is, which is aggressive and not right. And, and, and very, very unlikely and shit for everyone. Yeah. And I don't know if it's going to happen, but if you look over the last five years, <laughs> it's, it's in the realm of possibility, <laughs> Yeah, which is stupid. Like it's not normal. Right. But then if you just look at like, what did the, the, but, the government in this country is now talking about like funding, uh, some medicines, I think it's diabetic medicine and like some other medicine, I forget what the liberal was an NDP got no, it, was a, it was a pharma plan and it wasn't just like a couple medicine no I think there was a list I didn't look at the, okay. the details but the pharma plan which is like you know you, you don't want to argue against that because you want everyone to have the medicines that they need but at the same time the government just throws out ideas without having any savings so the way they fund these things is the creation of deficits which then leads to ultimately the creation of new money, which then ultimately leads to the devaluation of everyone's income and savings, which then leads to frustration because nobody can buy a property or save for shit. Their grocery bill's too expensive. So they come out with like these great ideas that people will vote for that then are like shooting themselves in the foot. It's like the weirdest thing. <laughs> like there's nobody wants any suffering. And this is something that I've said before. And like, it's the reason that you and I can never go into politics because if I was into politics, like the platform would be like, okay, great. You know what we're going to do for the next few years? We're going to suffer. We're going to suffer. It's going to be kind of ugly. No one's going to get the money that they want. No one's going to get anything that they want. We're going to suffer. We're going to save. We're going to cut a whole bunch of stuff that I don't even want to cut, but we have to, because we got to write this ship. 
and no one will vote. Well, for that's me. what. Well, that's what. If things get bad enough, maybe they do. But Argentina, because because he ran on. But that I think. Platform. But but he came out and said it's been bad. We've got, been on a bad path for eighty years or whatever yeah. it's been. If Canada's been on a bad path for what like thirty years, really bad. Then what? We got another fifty years before we turn this thing around. Yeah, and we're a fraction of of what like through inflation and stuff. We're a fraction of what they were seeing in Argentina. Right. So like it's just it's when you kind but of he ran, but 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 I mean it, it there is a glimmer of hope because event I mean I well let's wait, the guy just got in power so let's not pat him on the back yet but he does look like he's doing some things no I'm saying the glimmer of hope I'm not even saying him that people can listen to that argument and be like okay we, it really has gotten out of hand we need to change it because he got elected on that platform barely yeah didn't yeah no it wasn't not a landslide. It was not a landslide. Yeah, yeah. Just barely it wasn't won. a landslide, but I thought it was like a decent amount. It wasn't like... Well, it went to some runoff thing. There was one vote. Then a month later, they had to have like a him and another guy. Yeah, but that's how a lot of places do it. They yeah, just yeah. take the top... top yeah. But well, it wasn't, no, I it, don't think he won by like 80% of the population. No, but it wasn't like a Trump-Biden thing where it was like, you know, 51% no. to yeah. 49. Well, I think it was like 54 or something. Yeah. I don't know. It doesn't even matter to me. It just... It just... It's... It, it, it can happen. And that's still the majority. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right, which which is like hard to hard to believe, really, when mm-hmm. you think about it. But if you go back to your argument at one point five million, I, I, if you if you I, six years from now to twenty thirty, the average appreciation rate in the on the Toronto Real Estate Board from nineteen sixty, do we look at it, is about roughly about seven percent, like six point nine eight or something. So I did six and a half percent. If you do six and a half percent, and I know this is this makes no sense. It's not a straight line. Think prices can go down, then they can come and it all averages out. But if you do a six and a half percent Whatever, uh, Nick, we're holding you to whatever com- you say right now. Compounded. It's for all the trolls listening. <laughs> like I get it. Six and a half percent compounded. Compounded for six years. And what was the starting one, price? One point five. Okay. It's two point two essentially two point one eight eight. So two point two is what it comes to which seems like it just seems outrageous like there's just no way it doesn't make any sense but well we looked at the treb it it makes sense treb we looked at treb the compound annual growth rate of housing prices on the toronto real estate board from the year 2000 is like 6.89 or 6.94 or whatever it is let's round up to seven percent so you actually went under yeah because the number i was saying at seven wasn't compounded or was it compounded? The, the number no, the, the numbers the Kyle put, Kyle put together were those compounded? No, those, those were like average, which is. But but we know that compound annual growth rate of prices on the Toronto Real Estate Board since the year two thousand is seven percent. Oh, since the year two thousand. Since the year two thousand. That's still twenty three years of information. It's seven percent compounded annual growth. It's ridiculous, mm-hmm. and the weird part is that. It's not real estate going up because if you look at the compound annual growth rate of the money supply in this country, guess what it is? 7%. It's just that the money lost its purchasing power. Yeah, there's other dynamics, doesn't go up even, but like, like let's just peel back the madness of all the details. And it's like, you devalued the currency, hard assets went up in value. Okay. Not even in value, went up in dollar price. They didn't go up in value. They are, it's just a house still. Yeah, so it's obvious there's a premium on how been has uh, has been put on houses because people are using that as well as other assets to try to protect their savings. Yeah, right. So that's I think we, we it's like widely unconsciously accepted. I think people just know. Oh yeah, real estate goes up. Yeah, not straight up. You know, up and down, but but over time. I think they're learning in the last eighteen months. It doesn't go straight up. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> learning right now. So, but um, 
So that so there's this this you know this financial premium put on the prices maybe because there's more people bidding for it than mm-hmm. just just live in the house maybe I don't know otherwise other people that are renting might be able to get in I don't yeah. know so let's say that's taken away so let's pretend and I think the chances of this are virtually zero but they're never zero right so let's pretend that the um, you know they fix the money supply and it's no longer skyrocketing mm-hmm. what do you think the premium is on real estate being used as a financial asset? Do you think it's 10% of the price, 20%? Like where do you- Then it just becomes a structural thing of supply and demand. So that in an area in Toronto, there's gonna be utility value to properties. And then if supply and demand are out of whack, it'll push that price higher or lower based on the demand. Mm -hmm. But the cost to build it still exists there and, and those costs can be slightly variable but it would be hard to see those costs. well if you're really fixing so now we're getting into a really good conversation here but if you fix the money supply then just over time if you fix the money supply everything else around you gets cheaper because the money supply is going to go up in value in because theory, you can't devalue it. Gets, it gets cheaper. Well, technology just makes things cheaper. Yeah. You can get a two by four easier from a tree today than you could a long time ago. Well, that's what I was thinking about, about lumber specifically. So, except there's, you know, there's limitations to some natural resources, which then becomes... A In little, Canada, we so, have a few trees. Yeah. I'm telling you, it's going to get We cheaper. don't use our trees. We give them to other people. So. <laughs> sure. Yeah. But we have a few trees. We can create some two by fours. Yeah. And our transportation's better than it was 100 years ago. Our saws are better. I'm sure we can get freaking robots powered by AI soon chainsawing some trees down. So if you fix the money, so this, is, this turns into like a Bitcoin conversation. But if you fix the money supply, then the things around you with technology should get cheaper as your money goes up in value relative to the things around you. This goes to Jeff Boosel's argument mm-hmm. about everything kind of goes to the... So then the incentive goes to saving, so to creating additional value, that, because if you create so much value into the economy, if you create more value than you're paid for, so you create extra value, then you have savings. So those savings, sorry, not more value yeah. than you're paid for, but your, your value is greater than what you consume from the economy, so then you have savings. So then you put those savings aside and there's no longer this incentive to always have to buy financial, other financial instruments to yeah. protect those. Because think of the panic right now. Like if somebody was to inherit $250,000 right now, or God forbid a million dollars. Yeah, it's like I got They panic. Yeah. What do I do? I mean, I hear that all the time with people who get some unexpected money, 25000 250000 2.5 million. It's like- Well, lots of the they, investors we talk to that have some capital. They're like, hey guys, just I, I don't know what to do with it. Yeah. And it creates this society where everyone's running around trying to be an armchair economist, trying to figure out how not to lose their purchasing power because God forbid you hold your savings in cash. So there's this like second order effect in society where it's like, you're not, you're trained to just panic. Like, oh my God. But like the I structural have- impact of that, I guess if that happens slowly, so let's go back to the real estate market. If that happens slowly, it actually isn't such a bad thing. It can, it, it can handle it. But the structural impact of that, and because I mean like the mortgages have to be paid off and things like that, because the structural impact, if that prices really came down and they were going to stay down because, you know, there's mm-hmm. been a change in the way we handle our, our money and we, mm-hmm. we use sound money, then... All those mortgages, the banks are underwater, everyone's underwater on those types of things. So they can't have that 
unless mm. it happens, unless it's a very slow transition, because it would have to happen over a period of time as the debt as the debt de- would get repaid as well, and then the transition can come. Well, you, of- it, but you couldn't do it with the current money supply because the current debt has interest on it, and there's not enough money supply to pay for the interest. That's right. So you actually couldn't do it. Like it's a beautiful thing that you're suggesting is not possible. You can't do it yeah. with the current money supply. You actually have to have a second money supply. Hello, Bitcoin on the side that is the lifeboat, life raft for everybody as this first one is kind of controlled and unwound slowly. And I get, I guess this goes to like, like to me, Nick, this just- How did I stumble into a Bitcoin conversation with you? That wasn't the goal. Because you fix the money, you fix the world. The it's the whole thing, it's the whole point. How the fuck we get here again? <laughs> See, you, I didn't even set you up. You walked right into it. Because you know why? Because you're getting to the base level of the problem. When you get to the base level of the problem, you realize money is part of every half, one half of every single freaking transaction. And if the money's distorted, it distorts everything. It distorts real estate. It, disor- it distorts careers, incomes. It disor- distorts education. It distorts healthcare. No one can do anything. So if you believe they're going to fix the money supply, then get the get out of a lot of your assets. If you but they're not going to. No, I know. But if you if, oh okay if you yes thank you yes if you don't think that they're going to fix it then you and, need assets. And this is like the weirdest thing that because we're in the real estate game, it's the weirdest thing that like sometimes I find myself defending real estate when I don't want to because. I yeah. don't agree. Well, you don't want to be lumped in with, with you, because people yeah, buy real estate and get rich. Yeah. Cause people then look at you they're like, Oh, okay. You're in real estate. So you just think real estate only goes up, real estate, but you're not, you're not but coming it's at like, it from that point. Well, no, like we don't think real estate goes up, but what, you know what? We do think that the fiat dollar is going to be printed to infinity, which then means in dollar terms, the price of real estate is likely going to go up. So then you're lumped in the same camp and you can't win. Yeah. You know, you're just like, Oh, you're one of those people. Think, because when you think of it, like, let's try to th- figure this out. Like how would real estate prices go down? So you threw it on the table. You're like, well, fix the money supply, like as one way. Okay. So but then we, we decided remove the fi- remove fixing the money supply. Cause you can't have the money supply fixed. Otherwise there's, otherwise there's not enough money in the system to pay for the interest on the existing, existing money. Unless so interest not, stopped being earned. Yeah. Even then still already because interest has been expected from the start of it. Yeah. So you could go to a debt jubilee. You could, you could say, Hey, and every once in a while through history, there have been debt jubilees. But then whoever is holding the debt the banks. loses. The banks currently hold a lot of debt. The banks aren't going to lose. They would have to revalue it and put the debt against something else so the banks didn't lose. They could, they could, you know, they could just say, okay, you don't owe a million dollars Canadian anymore. You owe 700000 of this new thing, you, you know, or whatever the number was. Yeah, right? yeah. But, bring in, bring, yeah, which is like... But that's like... And then we get access to the new thing first and the party starts... But politically... Again. Politically, for that to happen, it's just, it's almost inconceivable. The U.S. as a country, now that you're making me think of this, is the U.S. on its balance sheet has a bunch of gold that is currently priced at like $36 an ounce. It's like they have this secret weird weapon, and I'm not a gold fan anymore, but they have this secret weird weapon where on their balance sheet, they have all these ounces of gold. That's at the New York the New York Fed and Fort Knox, like those two places, are, I think, are the two biggest homes of the current supplies of gold that the U.S. owns, and they have other countries' gold. But let's not even talk about that. They have all this gold valued on their balance sheet at like thirty six bucks. If they just value it, it's it's at the current market price. That changes their situation. So the U.S. could be saying to itself, "Screw everyone, let all these banks go wild. We have this ace up our sleeve. We have this hard asset." 
that is priced incorrectly on our own balance sheet that if we want to one day, we'll just price it correctly. Oh, I think, like, I think that's like, a yeah, so de- like they, definitely happening at some point. It, yeah. And you see China, you see all the big countries loading up with gold. All the big central banks are loading up with gold. So like they yeah, kind of know the game. Yeah. I don't think it's, it, you know, it's not necessarily going to fix everything like we're talking about and things like that. But I, I, I just think, I don't see how that, that doesn't, the probability of that seems like it has to happen. They have to, it just it's it changes their whole, whole financial. Okay, so then you, you so then you could force everyone. You could say no self custody of Bitcoin. Everybody must put their Bitcoin on government monitored exchanges or buy it in an ETF. We revalue the price of gold. We're the ones. We're the central banks that hold all the gold. Canada doesn't. Let's face it. I think Canada has seventy ounces or something stupid. I forget. I don't know. So I Canada don't, I don't know if they bought Canada's garbage. <laughs> we're garbage. But the rest of the smart central banks and smart countries have a bunch of gold. So we kind of control this Bitcoin thing. You have to own it in an ETF or on a government mandated exchanges. No self custody. Force it back into the system. We can control the gates to that system. We revalue gold. We have all the gold. We base some new currency off the amount of gold and that's what you get and that's what we use and that's what you have to pay your taxes in welcome to the new system good luck that seems you know that seems feasible i guess me. that does seem feasible fuck yeah but it, it really does it, it you know and that gives people the confidence because if they're if they're told that this is the by the government thing, yeah that gives people the confidence like, oh okay so this makes C- sense. canada gets some do. charity to deposit U.S. gives Canada some little token amount. Say, oh, you guys have some too. Never mind that you probably have a ton in the ground and you can probably dig up a bunch for yourself, but you're so useless that you can't. Don't think logically. You can't do it. Wait, Canada, you have all this water, lumber, energy, (laughs) all these minerals in the ground. You can't do anything with it. Oh, my God. Um, But, uh, yeah, so that's kind of like a feasible thing. That's something that could happen. See, Nigeria just recently was that yesterday I saw that they are trying to block or they announced they are blocking traffic to Bitcoin exchanges. Yeah, because their currency is looking value or whatever. But I think they've kind of done that before and then everyone just gets a workaround. That's the type of that's the type of situation that we've discussed before. It's like when they start doing that, that's when you're like, oh, I should really be out of the system. Like yeah. why are they blocking the If they're exits? blocking it, that's where I want to be. You know? Yeah. So that's yeah. uh you know, those signs. But I think when they if they did it in a way where they're doing something else around gold or some other you know, some yeah. other money, whatever however they're gonna the thing is that. even okay, but even when I say that about gold and we're like, okay, that looks like the a plausible situation. Well it's the only one that makes any sense. Any sense. Unless like, they yeah. just create another currency out of thin air. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, this one's better here, start using this one. I mean that's what other countries have done, so they could try that too, right? So in that world, you do want some Bitcoin now in your own custody so that you have some financial ability that's not tied to the system and you can operate independently and with, you know, your own sovereign self. Like to me, that's why everybody should take some custody of some Bitcoin themselves with their own hardware wallet. Like exactly that. Otherwise, everything you owned, owned financially, all your purchasing power is in the system that can just be controlled on your behalf and you are dictated to on what you can buy and not buy and how much value you have. It kind of sucks. Like you should take custody. Yeah, I think there's something to be said for ownership of anything. And I know what you mean, like, you know, but, but there, you know, there's, uh, there are other things that do hold their value. So you, you they hold their value, pay. but not is like, we're talking about a digital I know, I understand, instrument. But I'm just saying like for people that just aren't up that, you know, yeah, but I think they should path. be like, I think I'm coming to the point. Like, I think what got me was but they don't have to be at your level. 
And I think no. that's, that's that's what I'm saying. So like if it's a little bit, yeah, it's one thing. But I just mean it's your, like your savings can be dispersed amongst different things. I know. But then lately, you know, I think it was in, you know, in that one podcast that I heard on what Bitcoin did with Preston Pish and Nico were breaking down. And when you hear that the four year rolling compound average, sorry, compound annual growth rate of Bitcoin going into January over what's been a pretty wild four years. So over the last four years, the compound annual growth rate to late January is 46%. The guy on Twitter who put the charts together charts BTC. It's 46% compound annual growth rate. I mean, it's getting tough to kind of ignore these things. It's like, you don't have to, to your point, you don't have to be like all in on Bitcoin, but like to just dismiss this now is like the lowest four year compound annual growth rate is around 24%. It's kind of like, it's starting to get ridiculous to ignore Bitcoin. I didn't say to no, me. Uh, no, I, I know, I know you're not saying. I'm just kind of thinking out loud. Like, for most financial planners out there to to ignore this and not have some allocation to it is now getting ridiculous. Yeah, there's work involved to to understand. Yeah, it. and that's why it's not happening mm-hmm. in some cases. But yeah, I think that's you know what I what I often think about is also it's something that's out of the system, and and, and that's why it's a scary. Little, yeah, they just there's not an understanding of it. Mm, you have to be kind of wired. Well, especially if you're going to custody yourself. Like, look, there's a difference because you can, and I know the growth rate isn't the same as, uh, you know, as Bitcoin, but, but gold kind of in general, I was looking at another chart, a chart the other day from, I forget what time period. I was like, oh, okay, it's kind of done. It's, yeah, it's part. had a good run up until 2012 and then kind of flatlined. Yeah. For a while. But because of that run up, it's kind of done its part in, yeah. in, in protecting. It, it kind of holds its purchasing so, power. Yeah. So it hasn't been the same, but, but like, it's a lot easier to go because you just got to find a supplier of one that's trusted and then go buy a gold coin and then you kind of put it in a safe or your pocket or whatever you want to do with it. Whereas on the Bitcoin side, you know, for people that aren't familiar with that, you, you do, there's like more work involved. You got to try to understand it a little bit, especially if but just people, hearing you say that makes me think now Bitcoin's easier because there's so many apps but now. But it's not, understa- not in understanding it. But a, a young millennial buying a hundred bucks worth. Yeah, maybe a young millennial. But if you've if you're a 50 year old person and your entire life you've associated value to things that you can see, it's a, a see and hold and feel in your hand. It's a lot different conversation. Mm-hmm. It's a lot different. Like people need time yeah, to kind of get over that. People have cursory level knowledge of stuff and it hurts them. What you have, it's also ingrained in you. It's no different than when, for marketing, right? Marketing, mm-hmm. one of the best offers is a free book. And the reason it's a free book is because we've been programmed value for years. For years we've programmed. Yeah. What, what kind of value do we associate with a YouTube video? No one. Like, like how hard is it, it to get someone to pay you know for a book or a YouTube yeah. video? Yeah, I, right? I, yeah I, I hate what you're saying. <laughs> um, you know, you know what? Um, it is getting easier with some of the apps for sure. Just even even on the Canadian side. But you know what? You're oh my god! Well, the first time I tried to buy it was 2017, and I couldn't. God, even you had to be a rocket. Figure scientist. it out. Yeah. So, um, the uh, but you know what you're giving me a flashback to is remember when um, <laughs> like I don't know when Skype started being used, but Skype started being used in the I don't know early to mid 2000s. It was it was around around there. Skype was used. We started this business in like 2007, and I'll never forget from 2007 to 2010. People would walk into our office in Burlington, and they would come in with this telephone that had a video screen on it. I don't know if you remember. Yeah. And there was like a network marketing thing where it's like you sell this phone. To, like you could do video calls all around the world. It was cheap, and you could see the person had a camera. And I forget the network marketing company. I, I, I don't know which one it was. And I remember just looking at these people going, 
I think I remember Trump endorsed. That was always their big selling pitch. Do you remember that? They're like, Trump's involved in this company. Do you remember that? No. No, I, I do. No, I, re I remember the company. I don't remember. The, I, okay. I, I, like, and I remember, I remember looking at this thing and I was already using Skype. Like that was on my computer and my like at the time, I don't know if cameras were built into your laptop yet, but it was pretty inexpensive to get a little webcam that you can just like USB into your, your computer. And I remember thinking, to, telling these, thinking to these people like, I've already used Skype for three or four years. You're still walking around here telling me that everyone's going to get video phones and plug them in. Like, yeah, that was a pretty bad never marketing one. But I remember, like, I like remember a, every time because I, I was pitched it half dozen times yeah. at least, and every time I remember thinking, I don't understand. Like, do these guys not know about Skype? At least with the, the supplements and the makeup and stuff. Yeah, yeah, you could kind of get into it, but that. One, but I, I feel like we're at that stage with the monetary system and money and Bitcoin. It's kind of like Skype exists. It just happens to be Bitcoin. It's this other system out there and people are going around pitching people like investments that don't make any sense. And you just look at them, you're like, do you know check out this like Bitcoin thing yet? Like, have you even like looked over here yet? And like, no, 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 like, I don't know. I can't put it in my hand, so I don't look at that. And you're like, just like looking at them going, what the hell is going on with yeah. you? That's kind of the way I'm looking at the world now. And I guess maybe that's a bad way to look at it, but I'm just looking around going, Everyone's still looking at like stuff. Everyone's trying to figure out these stocks and these bonds and a diversified for portfolio and getting some in cash and locking it into a GIC at 5%. 5% is good. And there might be reasons where you would take some of your liquid cash and put it into, into that. But I'm just talking about long-term savings right now. And there's this like Bitcoin thing and we're already like many years deep into it and people are still showing me like the video phone. Yeah, but is there a... What percentage of the population has long-term savings, enough long-term savings yeah. for them to look at yeah. and be like, wow, I really need to think Not enough. about what I can do with this. Yeah, you're right. So that, you know, and then, and then when you, and then if you take that percentage and then you think of the people that, because to, to understand something like Bitcoin and to even believe in it, you know, like, like have faith in, in storing your savings in that asset you then also have to have spent time understanding not just Bitcoin, but yeah. money. Yeah, you and, do. And yes. before 2008, I guess, yeah. I never really, like that's when we looked at each other and we said, what the hell happened here? During remember when we bought crisis. our first gold coin at that post office? No, yeah, it was like square, a stamp square, store. Yeah, yeah square like collectibles. One. The guy was selling little army figurines yeah. and little... Manfred. Manfred was his name. That's yeah. right. I remember. <laughs> That's yeah. right. But when he sold us the gold, he took us into the back yeah. little room, remember? I know, and I forget. I gave him... I forget, uh, what, That's when he was starting to tell us everything. Like, hey, do you know about these chemtrails? And you're like, what? What's a chemtrail? What are you talking about? And he's like, oh, do you know about like the NSA? And we're like, no, I don't know. And he was just like, it was like we were in another yeah. universe. And I was giving him like a thousand dollars and he gave me this little piece of gold and i'm like what i was so disappointed the first time we got an ounce of gold do you remember that yeah it was like nothing and then walking out of square one you're like what the hell i have this gold in my pocket so i think that's where the conversation has to start like i think that i think to to go to bitcoin to go to bitcoin something like bitcoin without that conversation you're literally just looking at it as like a get rich quick type investment thing like oh can i can I do this? Yeah, you know how people call it the greater fool theory? So yeah, so you're literally uh, just looking at it like that and you're looking at it as a trade. Hey, can I get in? Can I get out? Can I still make money on this thing? Because yeah. you need that underlying knowledge. And then you can have a conversation because that's what led us. That's why by the time we got to something like that, that we felt comfortable with it because we had years of, try, of looking at, at, at things that way. Mm -hmm. 
So you have to go down. That's why I like Saifedean's book, The Bitcoin Standard, because the first four chapters or 72 pages, I know there's a new version, so I don't know if it's still 72 pages, but the first 72 pages is just a backstory on the history of money. And I just started Lynn Alden's book, which I'd oh, imagine- Oh, so probably, good. Yeah, I'd, I'd imagine that goes- It's so good. I read the introduction, and the introduction basically says that's what it's gonna go through as Broken well. money. And I, I she love She comes at it from style. a different angle. She just comes at it from like money is a ledger, and yeah. then there's nature's ledger, and there's, you know, like a-, a Usually kind of I love her stuff, so I'm-, I'm Oh, you're gonna love it. it. But, but, but I agree with you about the Bitcoin standard. Like that was- yeah, That was, was the good. eye opener, but we already had a base understanding of- money even before that book well, the so maybe lynn alden's book the broken money is the place to start yeah i don't know people. yet but i'll, I'll it's really good yeah. for anyone listening and and we had her on here a few months ago talking about that book but yeah i guess you're right you need an understanding of money well you don't need it but it makes it a lot easier and i also think that there's more people now like during times like we've just seen over the last 18 months with these inflationary times and rates and you know people looking around i think when it, when inflation, the stated reported inflation was around 2%, it's just the right amount to rob people without them really knowing, Yeah. right? So if, but when it's, when it gets higher and people are looking around at the, when they go, every time they go to the grocery store, being like, what the hell, how come I can't afford the groceries that I used to be able to buy? Then it makes people look around and I think there's more people that would open their eyes to that conversation right now. But if the government can kind of get that, curtail that a little bit, then they can get people, you know, and put the blinders back on, so they're not willing to look or not not looking to spend the time to look around and be like, hey, how's this whole thing structured versus just being told by the government that this is money, this is what you use, and that's it, right? But it's a beautiful thing. That two percent number is oh, it's is a so, it's a beautiful, so wonderful. Thing. It screws everybody, and nobody really cares. Yeah, because if well, if you had a hundred bucks, right? Like if you had a hundred loonies. And then all of a sudden someone takes two from you and you have 98, you're not going to notice, mm. right? unless you obviously count each, each one, but you, you don't notice. It's a beautiful number. They can probably squeeze it up to 3% without really people no noticing too much and keep it there and rob people even faster. Mm -hmm. Right. I don't know how to break out of this thing. You're right. Because you need to have an understanding of money, understanding of the economy, yeah. the way we teach the economy. We, we teach economics, a Keynesian what style economics about like money, the supply of money and that banks create demand. There's modern monetary theory where the idea is that the bank without the demand coming from the government, the economy doesn't work. And you can just print as much money. It's debt owed to ourselves. That whole argument. I, go ahead. Sir. No, I was going to say there's a couple charts that we were looking at recently, and I want to map them against each other. I haven't done it yet. And there's the one about the Canadian, um, the percent of the Canadian workforce that is government workers, because that's that's higher than the U.S., the U.K., and we we got a, a recent spike. And then if you look at our per capita GDP, it was going up. Um, very similar to the U.S., where it was increasing our per capita GDP, per capita GDP, and then a few years ago, it separated. And the, the, the U.S. per capita GDP, if you take all the reported numbers, is accurate, right? So let's pretend they're telling us the truth. <laughs> so it, the, their per capita GDP was, continues to go up. Canada's leveled off and started coming down. And I'm just curious, I want to map the government worker number against when our per capita GDP came down, because as an ex-government worker, I think that that's going to match up pretty good. <laughs> Perfect. More government workers yeah. equals less economic growth. I, how can it, I, I just, it, it, and because I'm just looking at them, I'm like, I, I've only seen them separately. I'm like, oh my God, these things are going to match up perfectly, I think. Anyways, I haven't done it yet, but I, I, that's, I, that's something I got to get done. 
You know what, you know, what, this whole inflation thing, you know, but think about this, like think about capital gains tax. So you buy an asset, you buy a house, you buy whatever equities, whatever you, you name it, you buy it. And the money supply gets devalued. So the dollar price of that asset goes up. Well, then if you sell it, you have to pay capital gains tax on the new price that is a result of the devaluation of your currency. Yeah. It's a whole thing is a sham. Yeah. Like the whole thing is a sham. You buy a house. The house is what it is. The bricks don't change. The roof doesn't change. The dollar price of it goes up because the dollars got cheaper, less valuable, took more dollars to buy the house. You sell the house if it's an income property. You sell the house for more dollars. So you bought it for a million, you sell it for 1.5 million. The only reason that you're getting $1.5 million is because the value of the dollars is less than the dollars when you first bought the house. And then out of the $500,000 gain, you have to pay capital gains and give it back to the government. So the government screws everybody with the devaluation of the currency, makes the price of the house go up. Then when you sell the house for more dollars, you have to take some of the more dollars and give it back to the government as well. So they screw everybody twice in that example. They're probably screwing everybody 20 times. I'm just picking out two times in the example. Is that not madness to you? Yeah. It's when you look at it like that, it's it's, (laughs) It's just none of it makes sense. I guess. And I think the equivalent of us paying tax on the carbon tax. Yeah. Oh God. Don't even like the, the tax I just on the tax, at, the I, carbon tax, the fact that we pay tax on top of the carbon tax, like don't even, I just, just looked at my bill. I, Cause I got my bill yesterday, my gas bill. I'm like, let me see this carbon tax thing. And it was the equivalent. I, I think it was like $3 less than the cost of the gas and the cost of delivery combined. So it literally doubled, you know, then there's another thing. Then there's another service. But it's, you know what? Like, well, good for them. I guess they're going to keep the sham going longer because they haven't made a lot of money, let's face it, on land transfer at the municipal level and the provincial, at municipal Toronto, provincial yeah, level. This money goes to the federal. I know, but at least it's a level of government. I So provinces are broke, but they can go back to the government. Government has some new money th- coming in through carbon taxes and can funnel it back to the province. As long as there's some kind of theft going somewhere, they can redistribute the spoils. I mean, it's like completely a joke. The more I think about this, the biggest thing that we should be teaching our kids is how the economy works and how money works. Yes. How assets work. Like that needs to be the base level of understanding. When anyone tells, talks to me about gold and says, well, this thing has value because I can put it in my hand and I can see it. I just ask them, well, what are the characteristics of gold that make that it have give value. it its yeah. its value to you. Let's map them out. And if we map out those characteristics, does then that, we can does take anyone, those. Does anyone answer that when you ask that? No. Yeah. Nobody does. <laughs> but I like asking it. But then we can map those characteristics against other things. And that's where I can bring up Bitcoin and say, oh, well, I know you can't see and feel and touch it, but the characteristics of this thing, let's analyze them. And the big, I, I love the way Safe breaks it out in his book, because to me, when you look at money like gold or the Canadian dollar, we can just evaluate it on what is the most saleable or most marketable thing, the most liquid thing across space, time, and scales. So what holds its value across time? What holds its value really well across space? You're not going to put a freaking bush a bucket of apples on your back and take it to Europe with you on vacation and sell those apples for money. So what's easy to transport across space and what's easily divisible, what's saleable across scales. And those three kind of things, those characteristics are to me a nice framework to start evaluating things. Then you can talk about the functions of money, store of value, medium of exchange, unit of account, that kind of stuff. But the characteristics that give 
good money, some importance to humans is usually how saleable it is across space, time and scales. So I like kind of just that broad framework to start talking about things because then you can talk about how money works, the fiat dollar, the government backed dollar, gold and Bitcoin. We kind of have a framework. And the reason gold really worked really well is because it didn't decay. So it held its value over time. You could transport easy so you can easily, so you can take it across space. Well, compared and to other things that were being used at that time. Well, yeah, okay, know, there's like an evolution, right? Like you can go through like different beads. Different rocks or seashells or that type beads, of thing. Beads, yeah. seashells, you can go all through. It would transport other. a lot more value as a gold coin, even silver, you know. Yeah, well, and silver, gold wasn't uniquely divisible to small amounts for small purchases where problem. silver came in. Yeah. So then you can kind of have a conversation like, oh, how did we get here? And then it was kind of co-opted by governments with the fiat currency originally kind of just, hey, we're going to, in the US, they kind of hoarded all the gold gold in the 1930s and said, all right, we're going to have this currency and then it's going to be backed by gold. And then they slowly removed the backing by gold when Nixon in 1971 saying we're temporary gonna, temporarily going to close the gold window and it's been temporary, temporarily closed since 1971. Could you imagine they opened it up? You could buy it at 30 bucks? That'd be great. Maybe I'd be interested a little bit. Yeah. Flip it at the market price, buy it for 30 bucks, flip it at the market price, buy myself That's some I mean. Bitcoin so like, with the proceeds. Yeah, so it's just sitting there valued on their balance sheet at 30 bucks an hour or whatever the number is, 30 yeah. to 40, you know, some, but it's, it's just, yeah, there's something there for sure. So I guess um, this is something I want to ask. This year, it's pretty widely accepted. Not widely accepted, I guess, widely reported that there's going to be three interest rate cuts. If you just had to take an over under on that, do you think there's going to be less like no, you know, and in fact, there's going to be an increase or there's going to be more or do you think they're like, you know, whatever the media is reporting. Based I think on, that's about bang on. So three cuts. Yeah, I think it's about bang on. I don't think they're doing anything in the spring. So be the first time ever that what everyone expects actually. Ha well, no, I shouldn't say that. I guess a lot of a lot of times, a lot of people were expecting like multiple raises, and we got them. No one was the only bank. I think there was respect. Bank of Nova Scotia. Country. Yeah, I think they're the only kind of called. I saw. It. Yeah, when I was and I was like, how are they going to do this? I was like, there's no way they can so do you, that much. Think, which is which is somehow they've held it together. But and look they weren't able to do this much because look what started happening in the UK with their bonds and then with the commercial banks yeah, last, um, last year in the US. So if you really look at the way the system was structured, they couldn't do this, th th this amount of raises, but they pieced it together and they held it together with you know different mm -hmm. programs that they announced and that's what, that's what changed things. So now because of that, and this is why I've, I've said to you before, I'm like, never underestimate what they can do. And it, it, even when we were talking about Bitcoin in the past, I'm, I, I'm not mm -hmm. talking about that now, but I mean, you know, because you just never know how, what scheme they came up with to kick the can down the road, mm -hmm. you know, but, but I, I think, re, I don't think. But I, every scheme involves increasing M2. Yeah, 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 you're right. You're right. But it, it, that's why I don't think things blow up because I'm like, I, I, I underestimate, what, mm -hmm. you know, the, the, their plans for this type of stuff. But um I don't think, uh, yeah, I don't think something's, I think they're trying to hold these rates as long as possible. And if, unless something breaks structurally, then there's nothing happening in the spring. I don't think they want, the, they want max pain still for people because mm -hmm. they don't want people, they need people's mentality to change. Because right now the mentality is still, oh my God, well, when rates change, so if you look at real estate, how many people are talking, oh, when rates change, you know, prices are going to go. I'm like, well, no, that doesn't really, Mm -hmm. That's not necessarily what's going to happen. And they want to break that mentality first before they can start really moving prices. And, and maybe that Except happens, they can't because it's tied to inflation. 
if inflation what? drops really low, oh, they have to cut the rates. I, I so that's just math. They have to, but they don't have to right away. Yeah, there could that's, be gaps. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and that because because th- I think they they'll try to hold on. But you're right, positive real rates for a long period of time. No, it doesn't make sense. They just can't afford. So them. what about the uh, what's the probability of the opposite that they raise rates from here? Inflation U turns from here and goes straight back up Man. because then rates rates can go up. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, but from the people I'm talking to, like the mm-hmm, you know business same. owners and yeah. stuff, Doesn't it seem seems way. unlikely. Yeah. But I mean, it's 100 percent possible, especially if something happens with the energy prices, supply chains, like all that stuff. 100 percent possible. But from everyone I'm talking to, man, people are feeling the pinch. But so I guess hard. you could have a geopolitical incident that would shoot energy prices high. But under the threat of whatever that incident is, you can get a fiscal package out the door that would flush a lot of M2 into the system. That's anyway. going to drive inflation then. And which will further drive inflation. And then sure. they can leave rates higher. And then they can leave rates higher. But I still so you think- could, And that's an interesting thing because if the money comes into the system, not through lower rates, when money comes into the system, into the economy through low rates, it affects real, real estate prices first and early because the money is coming in through new mortgages, cheap rates. But if the money comes in through fiscal packages where, I don't know, the military spending goes way up or we have to send people checks or you know deposit directly into their account, well, that'll hit things like grocery prices early. So it's kind of like our next rounds of inflation over the next few years where we expect to see them first or hard and fast would be highly determined with where the money enters the system. Low rates typically means real estate pumps first. Money in SERB and direct deposits means grocery store inflation gets hit, it gets hit first. Yeah, not just, for, yeah. If, I mean, if you look at recent history, it's not just first, like assets, when rates were low, it's, you know, a, a lot of things like prices, grocery prices and stuff weren't really going up at the same rate as asset prices. Well, well that's what I mean, because low, low rate were, rates were low, so it hits assets first. But was, it was for years. It almost, it almost didn't trickle into the other stuff or very limited until the fiscal spending came in. Correct, because the people who have assets don't have to do extra... You know, if you have a bunch of assets and money's cheap, you can buy some more assets. You're not going to spend triple amount at the grocery store yeah. to create inflation at the grocery store. So the rich get richer in that model. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Whereas if you send it direct deposit to everybody, it hits the grocery stores first and you get the food inflation. Or like we saw during COVID, it wasn't just the grocery stores. It was like the toys, boats and jet skis and, car, and everything. Cars meme, and, meme stocks. Yeah. Just everything. Yeah. But the amount of money, just think of the amount of government money that was created, that went to people, that was then went to car dealers, like, like on you know, what Rich, the Robert mm-hmm. Kiyosaki would refer to as doodads, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like just think of the amount that went to that stuff because they were sold out everywhere. So the only, and I guess that's why, you know me, I'm going to have to bring it back to Bitcoin, is that the, the only reason that I really like this thing is that it's a fixed supply measuring stick of everything. So when anything is measured against it over medium and longer terms, you get some true representation of the price. Over the short term, yeah, it can bounce all over the place. But over medium and longer terms, it reflects, it stores its purchasing power and it reflects the thing, the price of things around it pretty well. Yeah, and that's another challenge with it or real estate or anything is that a lot of people have trouble looking at anything over the long term. Mm-hmm. It's it's everything's a trade. Like look at the, how many people 
we've worked with a lot of like thousands of investors, but we would have worked with thousands more over the years if it was structured as like a trade where it's like a get rich quick yeah. type. Yeah, thing. sure. How many people they want to trade everything? It's one of the benefits. Buy it Friday, sell it Monday. I'm rich. It's one of the benefits of real estate for me too because there's been times with some properties where I'm like get oh, yeah. rid of this sell, one man I'm sell this piece off. of shit and yeah <laughs> I don't want to deal with it and then you know you look back a few years because but to sell it's even more work than to handle the issue mm-hmm. and then you look back a few years later like holy shit thank god I didn't sell that one mm-hmm. you know so you know so it's but but that's another challenge with with everything is is I think it's it's harder and harder for people to look at things long term because everything around us is instantaneous we're conditioned for short-term everything so it takes a lot of discipline to discipline your mind for for the delayed gratification and doing things over the long term you know what the wild part is rockstar only exists because of the madness of the system yeah our business only exists because the system is totally corrupted yeah (laughs) you're right so basically if there's no need for rockstar anymore we've won Probably not entirely, but yes, the the value. Yeah, okay, you're because right. That's still, fair. There's That's still fair. a case. People, there's always going to be need for rental property, and there's all. Yeah. Well, there's yeah. still a case. 100. There's a case for buying an asset, self liquidating asset that you can generate sure. income. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean. So there's, there's that. always going to be some utility. Housing is a need, but a yes. large. I just mean in general. But a, yeah, a large majority of the growth, or but, but is, is just because of that. Yeah, yeah, 100. We'd still be in that first storage room closet. It's totally weird. That we no? started. Yeah, yeah. I, it, it, look, like it's it's weird that our business shouldn't have to exist. I'm the most well, maybe not. You're probably the most. I might be the second most. What's that? Anti real estate, real estate guy. Mm. Like I'm just not tied to real estate. No, but, but I just I I look at it as a. We've always talked about it as a means to an end, and I guess maybe another way to position it is is as a solution to a problem. Mm-hmm. And that's really, I guess, over time, like over time we started for one purpose, but then we understood things further. We're like, oh my gosh, this is a solution to this problem, mm-hmm. right? Just like just like how you're looking at, at Bitcoin and, and me too. Mm-hmm. But I mean, you're definitely like, well, more because well, there's never about it. Well, there's never been something else I've looked at that's had the returns of Bitcoin yeah. that could be interesting when you compare it. The leverage on real estate, let's face it, 20% down, 7% compound annual growth rate. That's a 35% return. Yeah, it it changes the numbers. Yeah, for sure. You refinance it, you pull out your original down payment, you can keep that property with all your money back out and doing something else with it. So real estate is kind of, has been this wonderful thing to play with, with pain associated with, you know, maintenance and dealing with people and the whole bit, banks, all of it. Sure, yeah. But it has been interesting. But there's been nothing that's really caught my interest like Bitcoin. And then when you look at the compound annual growth rate of it in the last four years being 46%. Yes. I mean. No, I, I and I get it. And, and you're looking at it from that perspective as well. But you're also looking at it beyond that. You're not looking at it from a trader for the just the, the, no. the growth yeah, rate. Yeah, I'm not looking you're, to get in at a certain price and back out at a certain yeah, price. Yeah, you're looking at it as a solution to a problem. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And, and, and I mean, maybe maybe it furthers its use as that or not. It seems that it's headed in that direction and it's it becomes it's becoming more likely that it's going to because mm-hmm. we started having these conversations on this podcast like 2020. 2020. 
mm-hmm. right? So, and and we, you know, I was like, okay, well, here's all the things they can do, you know, and, and a lot of those things have kind of fallen by the wayside. Who knows what what the government might try to do to keep control of the system and keep money in the system. Well, what country Nigeria, did you say is in Nigeria? I think it was Nigeria, okay. Nigeria, if I was correct. Because I got to think that kind of stuff eventually hits. But now with an ETF in the state, yeah, it's hard. how do they do that? Well, you could just say the custody thing. Yeah, it's too so, dangerous. Only, Nick, only criminals and bad people have Bitcoin and they're holding so custody. So you can only buy it through the ETF because the, that's the safe trust. way. And JP Morgan will control it. and uh, BlackRock controls yeah. it and we can keep an eye on it. And it's for your safety nick it's for your safety yeah this is the way yeah yeah yeah. i mean it's not, definitely not out of the realm of possibility and in that world you want some out of the system before that was ever to hit in that world you want it out of the system more than ever <laughs> you want it out of the system <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, sure. the more they try to control stuff the more you flip and better look for ways to let, not yeah. the, let them have control that's for sure wild times if we get that 1.5 million dollar townhome that is at 3 million by the end of this decade it will be wild times yeah you know what it, but it might even if it gets to the 2.2 yeah. Based on like a more historical yeah. appreciation rate, it, it'll be wild. That's where incomes have to change or did they change affordability rules? Yeah. Amortization yeah. of 60 years. Here we come. Election platform 2025. <laughs> All right, little brother, Nicholas Caradza, anything else? We're good. There's lots of things. Yeah. We'll leave the, we'll <laughs> We're leaving it at that for thanks, today. Thanks, everyone. <laughs> yeah. Alrighty, thank you to Tom and Nick for putting that together. Uh, we always want to hear those two guys chatted out about all of this type of stuff. They do such a great job with it, and I enjoy those episodes just as much as anybody else does that listen to this show. And thank you for listening. As always, don't forget if you're a Rockstar Inner Circle member, save the date. Saturday, April 6th in Mississauga is the next Your Life, Your Terms event. It's going to be the biggest and baddest one yet. I know it is every time we keep trying to outdo ourselves and we're going to try to do it again this time. So Saturday, April 6th, the Your Life, Your Terms event, special guest speakers being announced soon, but you already know that Tom's doing his famous economic update, letting you know where the world's going and what you can do about it to live life on your own terms. And Nick, as always, is doing his awesome local real estate market update where he's chatting about all the trends we're watching, what we're seeing on the streets, rents, prices, interest rates, and how you can position yourself to generate the most amount of cash flow and build up your real estate portfolio. So uh, other guest speakers will be announced soon, but for now, save the date. And if you're not a Rockstar Inner Circle member, uh, pay tickets will be available. There's going to be early bird pricing soon. So make sure to watch your email for that. If you're not on the email list, I don't know what the heck you're doing. Get on the Rockstar Inner Circle email list. Uh, just email us. We can add you to the list if you're not on it. Members at rockstarbrokerage.com. You get a shot at early bird pricing to attend the event. And then after that, prices inevitably go up closer to the event because we need to finalize numbers. So thank you for listening and hope to catch you again on the next episode.